What do you say we get right to work this morning? We're in Romans chapter 2, starting at verse 17. And as you find your way there to Romans chapter 2, starting at verse 17, I'll sort of introduce our passage. We are in a bit of a valley in the book of Romans. We're going through the entire book of Romans together. Um, it's been a sort of a negative tone lately. And that's just the, it's the scripture. It's not me. I'm not feeling negatively toward you. I love you very much. Um, but I just want to acknowledge that I know that. Uh, but once we get a little deeper in, we are going to just see glory. And all of that sort of negativity is going to be worth it. And the contrast of it is going to be beautiful. But also, this is good for us. It, all the truth in the Bible is good for us. Um, I, I have the tendency, whenever I prepare to think, Ah, oh, they need something super practical. These are people wrestling with debt and discouragement and trouble. I need to find scripture that talks straight to that. But my job is to preach through the entire counsel of God's word. And sometimes it takes me through passages like these that seem almost more theoretical. Uh, some of these sermons in Romans maybe have seemed that way to you. Trust me, this is good. It's good for us. It's building our worldview to help us think about our lives and, and ourselves and people around us. So it's good, very good. So if you will stand to honor the reading of God's word. We are reading from Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 17. Now before we read, let's pray and ask for God's help. Help to understand it, help to hear his voice. Would you bow with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for allowing me to serve your flock by reading it to them and attempting to explain to them what it says. And I pray for your help. I ask that you would help me to speak clearly, to serve them really well, and that by your Holy Spirit, you would enable us to hear your voice, to see your glory, to have soft hearts, to receive it, to be changed. Not to leave here the way we came, but to be changed. And as this sermon is leading up to our observance of communion, I pray that you would already be preparing our hearts, examining our hearts, getting us ready for this sacred symbol that we will partake in in just a few moments. Lord, we love you. We're excited to read your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 17. But if you bear the name Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having the law, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. And we're so grateful that we have God's Word to study together this morning. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. 
So here's how our sermon is going to work this morning. We're just going to walk through the passage, make sure we understand it, and then I have five implications of this passage that I'm going to share with you. And I have planned to leave plenty of time so we can take our time during communion, but I never really know how my sermon is going to pan out lengthwise until I'm done. So maybe we won't have plenty of time to take time for communion. But either way, it'll be good. You guys won't walk out on me, will you? Your silence is not reassuring. If I could give you the sermon in a sentence, is this. Religion without response hurts people. Religion without response hurts people. But religion with response helps people. Now, as we walk through the passage, it'll become more clear what I mean. So let's look at our Bibles. Let's just very simply walk through these verses. Verse 17. If you bear the name Jew, remember Romans is about, part of what Romans is about is Paul trying to unite the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. Right now, he, he has turned his guns on the Jewish Christians. And he's saying, okay, you call yourself Jew, meaning you are identifying yourself as God's historic people, God's people. So if you, call your, if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law, that just means rest upon the law. These are probably the kind of guys who could quote Scripture at, at hand. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you can quote Scripture just out of your, right out of your mind and it be appropriate and helpful? These were the kind of people who could do that. They relied upon the law and boast in God, meaning they just they held their heads high because of their relationship with God. 18, and know his will. These are the kind of people that would answer correctly in Sunday school. These are, were the kind of people who would be the go-to guys at house to house. Do you guys in Sunday school or in house to house have sort of the go-to guy when you hit a tough knot in Scripture and you've got to untangle it and everybody's kind of quiet and it's awkward and then slowly everyone's gaze focuses on one person there because they're the go-to guy that knows. I see some gazes focusing on individuals right now. So you know what I'm talking about, the ones who know ones who understand more, who have been a little more educated in the scriptures. That's who Paul's talking to right now, those people. And approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law. If these folks were here this morning, right now they'd be taking notes. They'd have their, one of those inserts flipped over backwards and they'd be taking notes so they could go home and test what I'm saying. That word approved has two ideas, testing and approving. They'd go home and check what I'm saying by commentaries or, or, or with their own Bibles. They would go through and see, is Matt, does he know what he's talking about? And they'd approve the things that are true and they'd kick out the things that, that I threw out there out of my head that are maybe wrong. You know, that might happen. You guys really should probably take notes and test what I'm saying. I don't want to accidentally start a weird cult because everybody just believes me. Test what I say by the word. These were the kind of people who would do that. Took it very, very seriously. 19. <clears throat> and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth. 
In other words, they, these are the folks who had the Old Testament, whereas the Gentile Christians came in and they didn't have that benefit. So the Jews had it, and therefore they taught. Now, is any of this bad so far? The title of this sermon is Portrait of a Hypocrite. I know you guys are like, oh, this is going to be great. This sounds so uplifting, positive, encouraging. Caleb, that was our station up in Raleigh. Portrait of a Hypocrite. But so far, does any of this sound bad? Do you think I will call you up and yell at you if I find you doing some of these things? Are you teaching people? I heard you memorize the scripture. Stop it. No, all this stuff is good. All these things are good. But keep reading because things turn sour real quick. It turns on a dime as you get to verse 21. You, therefore, who teach another... Do you not teach yourself? They had all this, and they even went through the trouble of teaching, I'm assuming the Gentiles, because they didn't have the Old Testament like the Jewish people did. But they weren't teaching themselves. They were just just truth transfer agents. They were just trying to hand it over, but they weren't being personally affected by it. They weren't responding to it. I'm going to use two Biggest Losers illustrations this morning. So if you don't watch the show, I know I used one last week. I'm using two this week. I don't know why. It's just on my mind, I guess. But again, who watches? Who has watched ever an episode of The Biggest Loser? Goodness. i get you guys some TVs. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's good that you're not watching TV. The Biggest Loser is a reality television show where people who are dangerously overweight go to a ranch... And they have trainers there that, that train them, and they lose weight rapidly. And it's actually, I think it's a really good show. Now, if you've ever watched and you see who the trainers are, they're really, really fit. Like, really, really fit. That makes sense, doesn't it? Now, can you imagine if you turn it on, instead of Bob, that's one of the trainers' names, they had Dom DeLuise there training people. <laughs> Some of you guys, maybe one or two young people out there don't know who that is, maybe. Do you really not know who Dom DeLuise is? Not to point you out, Scott Carpenter, in the middle of the sermon. <clears throat> Chris Farley. Okay, Chris Farley is there. He's the trainer. How ridiculous that would be. But basically, that's what Paul was pointing out here. They were trying to teach people something they've never absorbed themselves. And it's just as ridiculous as Chris Farley or Dom DeLuise trying to train people on how to lose weight and get fit. They taught more than they learned. They preached more than they practiced. And they would say more than they would obey. I have a little rhyme for you guys to help you remember that. He goes on. You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, in your breaking of the law, do you dishonor God? See, these people taught really well, preached really well, spoke really well, carried their Bibles around with them really well, but they never responded personally to it, and therefore they dishonored God. Even in the midst of all their religious activity, they dishonored God. Now note, and this gets really to the heart of the message today. Note how 
they hurt people. Remember the sermon in a sentence? Religion without response hurts people. Note how it hurts people, how it affects people. In verse 24, for, based on all this that he just said about the Jews, the Christian Jews there, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. Their hypocrisy, their religion without response hurt people. It didn't hurt people's feelings. It didn't hurt people because they disappointed people. It hurt people because it perverted their view of who God is. That word blasphemed, basically it means they caused people to take God lightly. Religion without response causes people to take God lightly, to misunderstand who he is. To not see him as sacred and holy. To be honored. To build our entire lives around. You know the Bible calls God a consuming fire? God is a consuming fire. Somewhere in Hebrews. A consuming fire is something that consumes you. It it burns away all else. See, the way the Jewish Christians were doing things caused people to think of God as just sort of a side dish in life, to take him lightly. You remember what the number one, the biggest commandment is when Jesus summed it all up? You can actually say it. Yes, that's right. The main thing God wants is that we love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, all of our mind, all of our might. He's a consuming fire. What we are about here is an all-consuming relationship with an all-consuming God. Now, if we slip in to how the Jewish Christians were doing things, we aren't going to be all-consumed. We're going to be dabbling in some religious practices. And missing the power of all this. So, what does all this have to do with you and me? I have five implications from this, from this passage. All right? So everybody needs to wake up. Five implications. Tired-looking people this morning. And I'm so fascinating, I can't understand. Laughed awfully hard at that joke. What does this have to do with you and me here this morning? Five implications. I'm going to spend the most time on the first one, and then the other four are pretty simple. First, just real simply, it's possible to be religious without responding to God. Just very simply, we have to acknowledge from this passage that it's possible to be religious without ever responding to God. The Jewish people were religious. They, they knew their Bible. They taught their Bible. They called themselves by the right name, but they didn't respond to God. Now, what about us? We're here. You guys made it. I know it's not easy, especially if you have kids to get here on Sunday morning. So we're here. Some of you came to Sunday school. Most of us are going to participate in communion. Some of you are going to go to house to house this week. Some of you are on the board Some of you are on other committees like music committee or the board of Christian ed. 
Many of you are teachers. We're doing stuff, and it's good. Just like none of that list that, that Paul read out was bad, it's good. But are we responding to God? Because if we're not, all those good things turn negative and they hurt people because it perverts people's understanding of who God is. And they'll think, oh, God is something people go and dabble with on Sunday mornings, but then forget about the rest of the week. And it causes outsiders to take him lightly. There's a woman I know, and she has no connection to our church here, so I think it's safe, who at a certain time in her life, her relationship with her husband was disintegrating. Her, her kids, they were in high school, one of them was in college, were really struggling. They weren't doing anything terrible. They weren't all hopped up on drugs or anything. But they were just really struggling more and more each week with strange anxiety problems, like really severe anxiety problems creating for them a world that they couldn't even operate. They couldn't go to class. They couldn't stand life. And this woman, she was disintegrating because of the stress of all of it. She's a professional woman and a family woman, so she was working all the time. And then there were weeks where every night of the week she was at church doing stuff. Every single night of the week, some weeks. Then other weeks, maybe she had one night of the week that she wasn't at the church doing stuff. She was a part of a, a Methodist, pretty big church, very involved. You know, one night, I'm, I'm not really sure what all it was. I'm just guessing one night, I think she was on the praise team, so I'm sure she's practicing for that at least one night a week. I know she was on a couple of committees having those meetings. I'm sure she's a part of a Bible study or two. Really, really busy with religious stuff. All the while, her life is just falling apart. I don't want that for us. I don't want that for you guys. I mean, just look at our, if you have your bulletin, look at the back. Look at what's coming up this week. If you wanted to be really, really involved in the religious life of our church, look what all you could do this week. Okay, so today's Sunday. We're here having our service this Sunday. You could go to one of the house-to-house groups this week. Let's just say you go to the... uh, most of you probably are people who work during the day. So we'll say you go to Ron and Jan Thomas's house tomorrow night. So you work all day, you go to the house-to-house meeting tomorrow night. Tuesday is free. But Wednesday, let's say you're a part of the choir. Okay, so Monday night, you're at house-to-house. Wednesday, you're at choir. Some of you are probably rushing from work to try to get there in time. Let's say you're also a deacon. Okay, so Monday night, you're doing the house-to-house thing. Wednesday night, you're doing the choir thing. Thursday night, you have a deacon's meeting. So that leaves you Tuesday and Friday. And then Saturday, all day's work day. And then Sunday, we start all over again. And next Sunday afternoon, we have the Southern District Rally. Now, I know this is a particularly busy week, but I just want to point out to you the danger of becoming really, really busy religious people and missing out on the fruitfulness of responding to God. Don't mistake busyness for fruitfulness. And don't get me wrong, all this stuff is great. I'm not trying to say don't come and participate. Come and participate as you can. I have no expectation that you're going to be at every single thing when these doors are open. Because I'm not trying to produce religious people. I'm hoping to produce fruitful people who are responding to God. 
And what's funny, with all this going on, people still want more. People still want more stuff to do. And, and I think there's two reasons. Part of it is because, you know, there's always good opportunities to do things that would be good and helpful. So, you know, we plan events and programs and things, and they're not bad things. But I worry that part of it is trying to mask the fact that maybe many of us aren't responding to God, and we don't maybe know how to respond to God. So instead, we frantically do stuff. Well, I'm busy at church all week long, so I've got to be doing pretty well with my Christianity. It's not necessarily true. And I have new ideas presented to me all week long from people inside the church and outside the church. Cool things other churches are doing. Maybe we should do that. Something they read about online. Maybe we should do that. Or just something we thought about. Maybe we should do that. And maybe we should do that. I'm fine with doing stuff. I understand that a church around here is going to have a 3D Christmas, I mean, an Easter service broadcast. Well, that's fine. That's fine. But if there's not responding to God connected with that, it's going to hurt people. And it's not just the big stuff. We're going to have house-to-house meetings this week. That's good. That's fine. But if it's not connected to responding to God, it's going to hurt people. Churches do the uh, love dare. Remember that movie Fireproof came out a while back? Churches do a love dare thing where couples, married couples come and they renew their vows. I had that pitched to me. That's fine. I don't have a, that's great. But if it's not connected with real people responding to God, it's going to end up hurting people. So some of you may have been frustrated with me at times in the past because I tend to hesitate toward doing a lot of stuff because we already do a lot of stuff. And if we're not responding now, we're not going to respond then because we're doing more stuff. Are you following me? Because I've been thinking a lot about this, and I know you probably haven't, so I don't know if I'm just riding my own train of thought out into the wilderness and nobody's with me. I have this, I have this vision. I have this vision for the ordinary. Don't underestimate the power and the profundity of ordinary people responding to God in ordinary ways. Don't underestimate the power of that of ordinary people responding to God in ordinary ways. I have this vision of of what life could be like. If all of us just live in our simple rhythm of life here at the church together and responding to what we're hearing, and this slow growth of fruit, this crop is starting to grow in our hearts. And all of our, the deeds of our flesh are starting to shrivel and fade away outbursts of anger and embassy, em, embassy, enviousness, envy, enviousness, <laughs> envy and strife and uh, infighting and gossiping, all that stuff just starts to shrivel and fade away while love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control starts to grow in our hearts as individuals just because we're just ordinary people responding to God in ordinary ways. And I think it can happen. All those things I just listed, those are fruits of the Spirit. Those cannot be fruits of programming. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not anti-programming. I'm just, we have to think about this clearly. 
I just have this in my mind. I wish I could paint this picture for you, but I have in my mind of, of, of kids in their homes seeing their parents being shaped by the Word, seeing their parents growing, changing, seeing their parents start to spend lavish amounts of time with them during their, their bedtime ritual. And I know I'm probably talking to myself mainly here because I have young kids. But taking the time to talk to them and read, read their little Bible to them and sing with them and pray with them. Ordinary, ordinary stuff. Taking the time to have a meal together as a family. Ordinary, ordinary stuff. Husbands loving their wives like Christ loved the church. Some of you men don't need to be a part of a group. You need to take the time to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Learning how to take initiative in ways that you didn't used to. I I would love for wives to just start to be shocked that their husbands have thought like 10 steps ahead and are taking care of things. And women can let go a lot of this, uh, a lot of this fearful control, angst. Nagging becomes a thing of the past. Beautiful, gracious, intelligent, submissive love becomes what we are. Marriages start to look like Christ in the church, like they were designed to. Ordinary husbands, ordinary wives, responding to what God has said in ordinary ways. I have so badly wanted, I shouldn't even say this. You guys take everything I say with a grain of salt anyway, don't you? I have so badly went. You know, it's really hard right now with our children's ministry because it's kind of hit and miss with attendance, and we don't have a ton of kids right now. So Denise and the BCE is just working so well, and we've got awesome things coming up. But, you know, we don't know for sure who's going to show, when they're going to show, and all that kind of stuff. And part of me just wants, if someone says, well, do you guys have a program for the kids? I just want to say, yes, we have an awesome program for the kids. God designed it. It's called Parents. And it's amazing. It's all you need. Us ordinary men and women living up to our design. But instead we scramble and we try to program it out and and make it happen. And and sometimes we end up sidetracking around the natural process God already put there. Again, I should have gone down that path because I don't have that clear thinking on that yet. I just really believe that God works through the extraordinary sometimes. He does. God works through the extraordinary stuff sometimes. But listen, he works through the ordinary stuff all the time. Don't underestimate the power of ordinary people responding to God in ordinary, day-to-day ways. I did, um, <laughs> did a lot of research recently on poverty and how, to, how a church can participate in poverty alleviation. We're going to have a deacons meeting this week, and we're going to talk more about it. I had a meeting over the phone with a lady, part of the WISH program. They take people from homelessness to being housed and on their feet. And I've been reading a lot, and we went, some of the deacons and I went, we met with the folks at Crisis Assistance Ministry. They have a great thing going over there, by the way. Don't hesitate to send someone that direction because they really know what they're doing. Um, But one of the big takeaways I've had so far is that what people really need when they're in trouble financially is not a handout. 
I mean, of course, they would take it, and it helps. But what they really need is an ongoing relationship with someone who can and is willing to spend the time to do the messy work of trying to help them recuperate their relationship with God and with their family. Lots of folks in Charlotte who are in poverty have family nearby, but they're they're disconnected from them. Spend the messy time with them to just just help them and pray with them. And yeah, help them, you know, give them what they need. Give them dinner, you know, but not just this drive-by, water cash out the window, keep going method. As I've studied, I really think that with poverty alleviation, and I'm getting back around in my sermon here, if it's fast, it's probably wrong. It's probably not really helpful. And if it's right, it's probably slow. And I'm starting to think that's probably how it is for our lives as Christians. I don't think we can expect fast, bam, amazing things to happen all the time. I think if we're doing it right, we're going to see slow growth as people over time. Because i got to get back to my sermon here. It's just I really think you guys are the program. People are the program. I think that's always how God designed it. We can't have a program of worship until we have people of worship. We can't have a program of generosity until we have a people of generosity. Okay, that was just number one. The, the re- next four are going to go quick. Number two, uh, implication from this passage. For us to evaluate how we're doing as Christians, as a church... We should not ask, what are we doing? We should ask, how are we changing? You, you sticking with me? You, if you want to evaluate how you're doing as a person, as a Christian, don't ask, what all am I doing? Ask, how am I changing? Because it's very possible to be doing a ton, but be missing the boat and not changing at all. So if you're wanting to evaluate yourself as we approach the table... Don't think through all the things you're a part of ministry-wise and all the things you're doing. Think, how are you changing? Are the fruits of the Spirit more evident in your life now than they were a year ago, five years ago? When I say fruits of the Spirit, that was that list of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I'm sure I'm leaving some out. Again, this is my second biggest loser illustration. Those who watch the show, it all, the climax is the big weigh-in at the end, and we see how much weight each person lost. So what's exciting is to see what all exercises they did. No, no, who cares? What's exciting is to see how they've changed. That whole show is based around how exciting change can be. What, what I want from us is, is change, Ch- people changing, growing, and I see it. It's happening. People ask how things are going at the church, and I think they're going really quite well because I know lots of you individually and as families are really growing and changing. I've seen marriages uh, being rebuilt. I've seen uh, dads taking more responsibility. I've seen, I've seen people let go of, of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and embrace humility and love. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff going on. Number three. Your attitude toward God is affecting people around you. It just is. Even if you're not saying anything to them, your attitude toward God is affecting the people around you. 
for the Jews, it was causing the people around them to blaspheme God and to take him lightly. So what about for us and for you? Does your presence in your uh, group of coworkers or your family or your friends, how is it affecting people? Is it causing them to take God lightly or to see him as weighty and real? Something to think about. We've got to keep moving. Number four, uh, if you don't like how outsiders view God, the problem may very well lie within yourself. Because I can picture these Jewish people looking at these Gentiles thinking they don't even take God seriously. They're blaspheming God. And then here God says, yeah, because of you. You take God seriously. You respond to God and they'll take note. Okay, last one. Ultimately, we all respond to God. I, I said that religion without response hurts people. That was kind of misleading because ultimately we all respond to God. We either respond with obedience and submission and change, or we respond with disobedience and rebellion and don't change. And you know this is true. If you have kids, if I tell, if I, in, in the morning, getting ready for preschool, if Elias is laying there in just a heap like he does in mornings and he's watching his cartoons, and I come and I get right in front of him, and he's sucking his thumb still, you know, he's four. And I get right in front of him, and I look at him, and I say, Elias, turn off the TV. And he sees me, and he says, okay, Daddy. And then I go back to the back of the house, and then I come back, and he's still laying in a heap on the couch. He responded to me. He responded with disobedience and rebellion. No, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I know that's a small example, but... How many times have we heard, you know, the big two things God wants from us is to love him, cultivate a love and worship for him. And how many times we walked out of here saying, nah, I'm not gonna. I mean, I'm not gonna go and like set a children's hospital on fire. I'm not gonna just go punching people in the face or anything. I'm not gonna do anything outright bad, but I'm not really gonna obey either. I've got my stuff to do. That's disobedience and rebellion. That's, that's our response. So it's just a good time. We're coming to the table. It's a good time to evaluate if we're being religious or if we're really responding to God. Was this a downer sermon? I, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be negative every Sunday. I'm just following the path of the scripture. But think about what's possible. God wouldn't be telling us this if it was impossible for us to attain I mean, through Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness for all these failures. We have new life. We, have, we can be enabled to respond to God really well. It's ordinary people responding to God in ordinary ways. All right, in closing, I just want to reread the passage, but flip it to be positive. So just take this for what it's worth. But this could be us. But you, if you bear the name Christian... And rely upon the law of God and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth. You, therefore, who teach another, you also teach yourself. You who preach that one should not steal, you don't steal. 
You who say that one should not commit adultery, you don't commit adultery. You who abhor idols, you avoid temples. You who boast in the law, obey the law, and you honor God. For the name of God is honored among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. May that be said of us. Let's pray.